listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. We're going to jump into something brand new today. We're going to jump into a series on the book of Lamentations. Now, that might seem rather strange to you. In fact, there may be some of you who go, I, I think I know that there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations, but I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't know that I've ever read the book of Lamentations. Well, I'm going to invite you to do that over the next three to four weeks as we move from this this uh, season of, of thinking about church leadership and as we're going toward the season of Advent that we'll begin observing around Thanksgiving and, and then leading over into the Christmas season, we will uh, be in that season of Advent. So we want to take the time to just look at this little obscure, kind of strange little book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. Now, Lamentations is a poetry book, so it may be a little strange how we approach. We, we just got done with a series out of Ephesians where we basically went verse by verse. And, and we looked at each verse and we tried to mine out that that is to be understood for us in the New Testament era. What, what was it that, that Paul said to the Ephesian believers? And, and you know what? Typically, that's what we'll do in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, however, we would be bogged down for years and years and years if we tried to observe every verse, every line, every jot, and every tittle. So we're not going to take that approach, but, but I, I just ask that you give me just a little bit of a leeway, and, and I think you'll understand how we are going to approach this book. As I was working out maybe, I don't know, we'll say two months ago. I was listening to a sermon series on the book of Lamentations by uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, Chuck Swindoll. Some of you follow him. And, and, and really, those of you who have known me for a while know that, that where I went to seminary was due in large part to my mother uh, listening to the Christian radio station when I was just a kid. And uh, as she would take me to school and bring me home. My mom and my dad both kept it on that radio station. I would hear preaching on the way to and from school. And, and most of the time, it was uh, laborious to me. It was not something that I really wanted to be listening to. You, you know, Michael Jackson would have been much better for me at that time in my life in the 80s. But they had it on a, you know, a Christian radio station. It was, uh, you know, slow music and everything. But there was this one guy who preached that I understood him. And, and I, I got what he was saying, and I actually became very excited. Listen, his name's Chuck Swindoll. He's a pastor out in, uh, in Texas and was the president of Dallas Seminary at one point and ultimately was one of the big reasons why I said, well, and if that's where he went and that's who taught him how to preach, boy, I'd love to be able to communicate God's Word like he does, and so we ended up in Dallas, Texas. Well... You that know Chuck Swindoll know that uh, that five years of mine out at, in, at Dallas did not bring me to the Chuck Swindoll level. But what I'm trying to say is that I was listening to his podcast 
two months ago, <coughs> there was a sermon series he was doing on the book of Lamentations. Now, he took it in a whole different direction. He, he went in a direction, we don't have time to go, and it really wasn't even where my heart was. But as he began to teach on this book, it just began to be a, a light of reminder for me in the time that we're living. Would it be fair to say that we're living in a sad time right now? I think it would. I think we could say, especially this year. I mean, Stacy was reading a, a, a meme off of Facebook last night, and she says it said something like, uh, "I believe that the phrase hindsight is 2020 was written by some futuristic person who's looking back and going, man, hindsight is like, man, y'all just wouldn't believe. 2020 has become like the buzzword of chaos, has it not? I mean, everywhere you look, folks are saying, man, that's the most 2020 thing you could ever imagine. So we'll have something to talk about to our kids and grandkids. Lord, please don't let it get worse in 2021, 22, but at least we'll have the stories of 2020. There's a, a hurricane brewing right now in 2020 November. I mean, do they go that late? Not typically. We're getting, we're headed toward Thanksgiving, not hurricane season. It's brewing just north of Cuba right now. So stay tuned to what's coming. 2020. We're, we're living in a time of, if, if sadness isn't the best word, we're living in a time of great, like, burden. And Lamentations is a reflection of a burden that was enormous in the life of the author and in the life of those who were a part of the people of God in and around the year 586 B.C. So what is this book of Lamentations? Well, let me just kind of give you just a few little ideas about how, how we're to understand this book. What is it? Where does it come from? How are we to read it? Who wrote it? And, and, and we'll get some of these things out of the way. And then we're just going to take kind of like a broad look this morning. And, and then next week we'll get into some of the more details. Lamentations, what is it? Well, it's a collection of five poems. There are five chapters in the book of Lamentations, and they are basically five individual poems, but they're all focused on the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, including the temple that Solomon was able to build during his reign, and the final deportation of the Jewish people living in the area of Judah to the foreign nation of Babylon in the year 586 B.C. You say, wow, I, I never realized this happened. And where would I find that in Scripture? Well, I would encourage you to look up 2 Kings chapter number 24 and 25, 2 Kings 24 and 25, and it will give you the account of the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, next week, we're going to talk about how that came about and, and what was the history surrounding this particular event. We'll, we'll look at that in greater detail next week. You, you can also look in the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 39 and chapter number 52, will give you a more condensed version of what this thing looked like in 586 B.C. 
when the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was burned and the remaining Jewish people living in Judah were transported as, as, as basically not slaves, but as, as an occupied people 700 miles to the east to the nation of Babylon. The book of Lamentations is typically read during the Jewish fast day known as Tisha Ba'av. Now, when we think of Jewish days, typically we think about feast days. And we hear a lot about the Jewish feast, Passover and tabernacles and first fruits and, and all of those that they celebrate as feast days. But the Jews also hold fast days, meaning they're days of remembering and grieving over things that have happened in their history. The, the fast day known Tisha B'Av, it literally means the ninth of Av. Av is a month in the Hebrew calendar. It is the 11th month of the civil calendar, but it is the fourth, fifth month of the religious calendar. It's July, August corresponding with our months. The ninth of Oz, of, of Av, Tisha B'Av is a fast day to remember not only the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 BC, but also the destruction of the temple and the routing of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 AD. And on this fast day, the people will get together and they will read all five chapters of the book of Lamentations. It's a part of their remembering. Now, the author is anonymous. Now, we, we, it doesn't say who the author is. He never identifies himself. However, in the, uh, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, and this Greek translation was done in the third and second centuries B.C., so this was uh, two centuries before Christ came on the scene. The, 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 the scholars took the Hebrew Bible and translated it into the Greek language so that this very Greek Palestine would be able to continue to read the Scriptures. The Septuagint identifies in its little prologue the book of Lamentations as the wailings and weepings of the prophet Jeremiah. Now, if you're looking in your Bible, or probably not able to see it on your tablet, but the book that comes just before this little five chapters collection of poems is the large book of Jeremiah. Most understand the author to be Jeremiah, who was alive at the time that Babylon came and destroyed from 605 to 586 BC. Jeremiah not only was alive, but was ministering in this region. And not only that, he was allowed to stay in Judah when everyone else was deported. So this little book of Lamentations was obviously written by someone who watched what was happening, and it was written in and around the area of Judah, in and around that area. It was written at the time Jeremiah was alive, and it sounds a lot like the other things that Jeremiah wrote. So typically, 
the understanding is these are the lamentations, the grievings, the weepings, the sorrowings of the prophet Jeremiah. Now, the four the five chapters are broken down in some unique structure. Well, it's poetry. It's, it's art, if you will. It's, this is not a, a story so much as it is artistic in its form. The five chapters are all broken down into a specific number of stanzas. Let, let me tell you how it kind of works out. Chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 follow an acrostic form. Those of you who are familiar with literary tools will know that an acrostic is typically uh, uh, using the first letter in a series so that it spells out oftentimes a word. You'll see these in business when someone will call you into a meeting and they throw up the word unity, except it's written up and down and the U will have a word and the N will have a word and the I. So that's an acrostic. Well, in this form, in Lamentation, the acrostic form of chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 follow the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first letter of the first stanza in chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and then it moves to the next letter and the next letter. and the next. Again, it's a poem. It's an artistic form of expression. And some have even said, why, why would the writer have done it this way? Many believe that, that it's in an acrostic form to make it easier for the Jewish people to memorize so that they'll have a clue of what's coming next as they think about their alphabet because they memorized, the Jews did, many of the works of Scripture. It's what they did in the synagogues from the time they were little children until their adulthood. They were constantly memorizing God's Word. You think about David said, Your word have I hid in my heart. Why? So that it might always be there with me. They didn't have copy. I've got two copies of the scripture on this table today. Many of those never saw one if it was not unscrolled in the synagogue for them. They would memorize. Many believe it's in an acrostic form so that it might make it easier for them to memorize. Why would you want to memorize something so sad to remind you of why it's here? Again, we'll get to more of those details next week. Chapters 1, 2, and 4 are 22 verses long, 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, each stanza beginning with the next consecutive letter. Chapter 3, however, is unique. You'll discover this when you go home and read it this next week, because I know you're all going to go home, and you're going to read the book of Lamentations this week, and you're going to discover that chapter 3 is a little different. It doesn't have 22 verses. Chapter 3 has 66 verses. Well, what does this mean? It's very simple. It just means the first three stanzas begin with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The next three stanzas begin with the second and the consecutive letters. 
So chapters one, two, three, and four follow an acrostic. Chapter number five is a little different. While it also contains 22 verses, it does not follow the acrostic format. It is a little bit more raw and seems to be the prayer of the writer. More spontaneous. It's, it's almost like he knew he needed 22 stanzas, but his heart was so heavy that he just simply poured it out as it came and stopped when the two when the 22 verses were over I don't know what was in his mind but I do know it's not following the cross stick even though it contains and retains the 22 verse sections you say why is this so important it it, it is important it's un, it's important when you sit down and read that you know that what you're what you're reading while not only inspired by the Holy Spirit, and we believe that it is that God intended for the writer, we think Jeremiah, to write these exact words, though the writer is writing in poetic form from his heart, from his mind, and through his own remembrance, yet it's written in a way that is so neatly tied together. And I think it's important as we read it to understand just how magnificent the inspiration and the, and, and the continuation of Scripture was throughout the years that God's using all forms and fashions to communicate His Word to His people then and His people now. The Lament Poem that you will find also in the book of Psalms. If you've ever read the Psalms, you'll know that you'll move from one type of poetic song, one of jubilation, and then you will find in the Psalms that have probably been very comforting to you throughout the years, you will find where the psalmist is going, basically to put it into our vernacular, What are you doing, God? What is up? Have you gone to sleep? Have you left me here by myself? You've read those psalms, and you relate to those psalms. The lament poem is a very common means of a few things. First, it's a very common means for expressing and processing grief. You, you know when you hear, and, and most of the time you hear this on the country station. You, you hear the sad song of the country singer. And, and now, this is an ongoing argument in my family. I appreciate more when the artist who sings the song is actually the writer of the song. You know why? Because it's their experience. It means more to them. Now, that's just me. That's just my personal opinion. That just resonates with me more than, you know, like a Luke Bryan, going and finding a song that he has no connection to. I'm sorry. Uh, anyway, just... It's no connection at all, just trying to sell it. You know, I'm just like, okay, it's sad and it's whatever, catchy, but it's not him or her, whoever that may be. Poetry has always been a common way to put your feelings down on paper. And what's awesome about 
poetry is that it's not just the rant of a moment, but, but it's there forever. And, and, and it's something that others can come alongside and go, that's what I'm talking about right there. That's how I, okay, you know, maybe it's written from a male perspective, or I'm a female, and I, but that's the feeling that I have. And there's just something very powerful about grief poetry. It resonates with us because guess what? While we may have all experienced very different life and upbringing and circumstances, you know what we've all shared together? Pain. Sorrow. And there's just something refreshing. Even reading something that is clearly agonizing. For the writer. So it's a common means of expressing but also processing grief. You see, in this time in history, you didn't make an appointment with a counselor to go talk about the stuff going on in your life. You didn't process grief psychologically in that time. That, that's kind of how we, we think. And, and that's a good thing to think. There's nothing wrong with processing it through the, 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 the cognitive way and talking it out. But for this time, this was a, a very common way to just process, to just get through what's going on in your life and just to be able to back the truck up and just dump it. But with this artistic form, to to be able to to try to find a way to take the shards of grief and agony and find some means of putting them together in a way that tries to make sense of this broken world. It's very common. And it was used for, for both individuals and for the whole community. You think about the book of Psalms, it, it, was, it was written by individuals, but the whole idea had the community in mind, that we might be able to come together around these common thoughts and threads. So the book of Lamentations, it, it, it's, a, it's a personal processing, it's a personal expression. One even said it's a personal protest of standing up and going, why, Lord, I don't get this, I don't understand this, or maybe I do understand it, but I don't like it, and I don't want it. And it's a way of just sort of giving you a megaphone to let it out, both individually and as a community. We see some of these things in other areas. I've already mentioned Psalms. You can look up Psalms 10, Psalm 63, Psalm 69, 74, and 79. And if you're going, I don't know how to remember all these, well, just download our Oasis Church app off of the, the store on your phone, and then there'll be a little Sunday tab, and you'll find the notes you can go back and read, and all these things will be there for you. The Psalms gives us opportunities to hear lament. You, you can even find in 2 Samuel chapter number 1, after, after Saul and his son, the king and prince of, of Israel, were killed on the battlefield, you can hear David as he laments the death of God's anointed. And David pours out his heart over the one who represented God in the company of the people, even though Saul was a bad dude, David was sorrowful on his behalf and behalf of the community. 
Lamenting as a, an activity that you and I have all participated in provides an opportunity to express one's circumstances through the lens of God's revealed word, even as a type of confession. As we grieve, as we talk about what hurts, as we just don't try to put on a happy face, And how often do we do that? How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I do that all the time. Folks will say, Kevin, how are you doing today? And I'll say stupid things like, if I were doing any better, they'd have to pay me. I'd say things like, you know, as far as I can tell, everything's going perfect. You know what that is? That's just me saying nice things so that I don't have to stand there and tell you why I'm not having a great day. And we all do it. What what if for just the next couple of weeks that we got together, I'm not saying let's be sad all week long for the next two months, but what if for the next few weeks as we just hear the grief of this one who represented the people of Israel at this time, what if we just took a couple of weeks to just walk in our sadness. And maybe right now is not a sad time for you, but maybe you've come out of a sad time. You're probably headed into a sad What if we just walked in the sadness and said, God, is there, is there something for us to learn through this? Through these feelings, these burdens, these weights that we have? And you know, we've had them for months. The COVID-19 pandemic, has that not turned our world upside down? What about the storms more in this year than, than they've calculated? Not in history because we have only been calculating for a few years. But in our remembrance, they're everywhere. What about political unrest? Have, have we not been in that for the last 24 months You know, I thought I was going to be glad when the commercials were over. Can we go back in time? I think I like the commercials better than the unrest that we're in right now. What about death that is occurring? Yes, we've all recognized the over 200,000 who have died as a result of this pandemic virus. But what we forget is that There are thousands of people who walk into death year after year. And since it's not a unique thing that we've given a name to, we overlook it. And if it hasn't touched our family, then we don't even recognize it. But how many of us have had it touch our family? You say, well, I hadn't had anybody to die in my family this year, but you know how it feels to lose someone close. And it seems like it never gets better. Death brings about grief and sadness. The protests, the riots, the destruction that we've seen in the last few, for a host of different things, causes us to be burdened and weighed down in our life. 
financial crisis that we see, loss of jobs, loss of businesses, I would say that sadness is always possible, but I would argue this year has just been a sad one, a burdened one. God, is there something we can learn from the sadness of your people? I think there is. And I want us to look at Lamentations chapter number one. Now, normally I read and and I preach from uh, the English Standard Version. I got it right there. That's where I normally preach. But this poetry can be a little confusing and reading it in a version like the ESV can make it kind of wooden and difficult. So what I've done is I've brought out the New Living Translation. We're going to read when we go through these full chapters, and I'm going to read the full chapter one of the book of Lamentations. I don't want us to miss the emotion. I don't want us to miss it. And, and the NLT just says it in our language. So that's what we're going to read from right now. Lamentations chapter number one. Jerusalem, once so full of people, is now deserted. She who was once great among the nations now sits alone like a widow. Once the queen of all the earth, she is now a slave. She sobs through the night. Tears stream down her cheeks. Among all her lovers, there is no one to comfort her. All her friends have betrayed her and have become her enemies. Judah has been led away into captivity, oppressed with cruel slavery. She lives among foreign nations and has no place of rest. Her enemies have chased her down and she has nowhere to turn. The roads to Jerusalem are in mourning, for crowds no longer come to celebrate the festivals. The city gates are silent, her priests groan, her young women are crying, how bitter is her fate. Her oppressors have become her masters, and her enemies prosper. For the Lord has punished Jerusalem for her many sins. Her children have been captured and taken away to distant lands. All the majesty of beautiful Jerusalem has been stripped away. Her princes are like starving deer searching for pasture. They're too weak to run from the pursuing enemy. In the midst of her sadness and wandering, Jerusalem remembers her ancient splendor. But now she has fallen to her enemy. There's no one to help her. Her enemy struck her down and laughed as she fell. Jerusalem has sinned greatly, so she has been tossed away like a filthy rag. All who once honored her now despised her, for they have seen her stripped naked and humiliated. All she can do is groan and hide her face. She defiled herself with immorality and gave no thought to her future. Now she lies in the gutter with no one to lift her out. Lord, see my misery, she cries. The enemy has triumphed. The enemy has plundered her completely, 
taken every precious thing she owns. She's seen foreigners violate her sacred temple and the place the Lord had forbidden them to enter. Her people groan as they search for bread. They've sold their treasures for food to stay alive. Oh Lord, look, she mourns, and see how I am despised. Does it mean nothing to you? All who pass by, look around and see if there is any suffering like mine which the Lord has brought on me when he erupted in fierce anger. He set fire or sent fire from heaven that burns in my bones. He's placed a trap in my path and turned me back. He's left me devastated, racked with sickness all day long. He wove my sins into ropes to hitch me to a yoke of captivity. The Lord sapped my strength and turned me over to my enemies. I'm helpless in their hands. The Lord has treated my mighty men with contempt. At his command, a great army has come to crush my young warriors. The Lord has triumphed or trampled his beloved city like grapes are trampled in For all these weep. Tears flow down my cheeks. No one is here to comfort me. Any who might encourage me are far away. My children have no future for the enemy has conquered us. Jerusalem reaches out for help, but no one comforts her. Regarding his people Israel, the Lord has said, let their neighbors be their enemies. Let them be thrown away like a filthy rag. The Lord is right, Jerusalem says, for I have rebelled against him. Listen, people everywhere, look upon my anguish and despair, for my sons and daughters have been taken captive to distant lands. I begged my allies for help, but they betrayed me. My priests and leaders starved to death in the city, even as they searched for food to save their lives. Lord, see my anguish. My heart is broken and my soul despairs for I have rebelled against you. In the streets, the sword kills and at home there is only death. Others heard my groans, but no one turned to comfort me. When my enemies heard about my troubles, they were happy to see what you had done. Oh, bring the day you promised when they will suffer as I have suffered. Look on all their evil deeds, Lord. Punish them as you have punished me for all my sins. My groans are many, and I am sick at heart. See in your mind's eye the fire still smoldering. The temple cracked and broken down. Houses looted. Can you see children running around searching for mom and dad, but they're gone. They've left hours ago, and these kids don't know where their parents are, and they can't find any food. They don't know what to do, and the soldiers are making fun of them. 
Can you hear the agony? As the writer causes the city to speak like a widow having lost her love. But you heard she lost him because of her unwillingness to be faithful. And now she sits in pain and agony. You resonate with those feelings? Or have you left me here? Are you gone not to come back? I look around, I don't understand what's going on. I don't know why this year has been like it is. I don't understand. Ever felt the weight? I think we understand very clearly the wailing of the prophet. And here's what I know about you, because I, I feel it too. What I know is, is you're saying, yeah, but let's come out of this. Let's get to the hope. Why? Because we don't like the weight. And can I say this? I don't think God intended for us in his created purpose to feel the weight that comes because of brokenness and sin. He's a good God who remains faithful even when all is broken because of our own choosing. I think there's a healthiness to just step into the water of the sadness say okay Lord where are you and, and and how do you want to use this to build me for your purpose and your glory I, I know none of this is about your glory I, I know none of this has your fingerprints on it Accept the fingerprints that are there as you're picking up the pieces to form and fashion something for your glory. Out of the shards, out of the brokenness, and out of the rubble. So, Lord, what is it? What is it you want me to understand in times of sadness? about me and about you. The weight of human brokenness is that sadness is the continued evidence and reminder of the brokenness because of sin in our world. We feel the grief because sin is still present. And it's a constant reminder that all that is contrary to him still remains. Sadness, 
pain and sadness in our life are multiplied realities. They're very rarely singular in focus. Most of the time, our sadness is multiplied. There's an event or a series of events. There are individuals or multiple individuals. There are circumstances, but most often they're compounded circumstances. It's not like I can just address that thing and it be gone because the pain and sadness we experience because of sin is multiplied. It is, it, it is, uh, it, it is blown up in so many directions in our life. The brokenness and sadness that we experience affects every part of our life. If something happens at home, that brokenness is taken to work. It's taken to play. If it happens at work, it's brought home. If it's happening in the neighborhood, it affects all of the The brokenness we experience is so multifaceted, we can't get away from it, even though we try to pretend as though we do. Sadness often whispers in terms of despair and hopelessness. Where are you, God? Are you gone? Are you never coming back? Have you thrown me out with the garbage? And I believe that's where we hear God speak. In a still, small voice but one that's clearly understood. And I like Psalm 34, verse number 18, to boil that down. And here's what God says. In the sadness, in the brokenness, in the pain, under the pressure, feeling that we all experience, maybe even right now, the Lord is near the brokenhearted. God says, I'm right here. The psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death with pain and sorrow and agony, you walk with me. God says, Right here. And what we have the privilege that Jeremiah, I believe the author, never realized was that God not only is right there near, God Himself was going to step into the pain. God Himself was going to step into the sadness. So that he might take us by the hand. Walk with us. Not only was going to walk with us. But if you think about John chapter number 11. When those two dear friends of his were in so much pain. Because the one who could heal has let our brother. And I know you loved our brother. You told him all the time. You let him die. You could have come. 
Folks came back and told us that you heard what they said and you didn't get up and go with them. And what does this one do? Takes her, pulls her close, and we get the verse that all kids want to memorize because it's the easy one. John eleven thirty five. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. It's okay to let the tears fall. It's okay to stand in the middle of it and go, I don't get this, God, because I think he said, I I never really intended you to get it. But you can get me. Think about Isaiah 53. Verse number 3 identified Jesus as a man of sorrows. Acquainted. with grief. You know how he's acquainted? Well, he knows all things, yes. But he demonstrates his acquaintance with grief by stepping into it. And experiencing it so that we might turn and look at him and say, Wow, you are right here with me. Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. No comfort before the morning. I know the weight of sadness for you can get very hard. So for the next few weeks, let's just embrace it. What do you say? Let's just walk into sadness, present, past, future. And let's just see the healthiness associated with with the emotion that God's given us, with the feelings that God has put into us. And here's why. Because sadness in our life at the things happening gives us an opportunity. These things don't naturally happen, but it certainly gives us an opportunity when we are under the weight, it gives us the opportunity to see our world through God's eyes. It gives us an opportunity because we're broken down. We, we feel like we don't have strength to stand and we're under the weight. And it gives us a unique opportunity to go, okay, God, how do you see what's going on around me? That's the first step. In that healthy approach to sadness is to just get God's perspective. Because maybe it is what God's saying is, look, we live in a broken world and you're experiencing brokenness, but I'm with you. And that may often be the case, but sometimes what God says is, you're sad because you've gotten yourself off the path of following Christ and you've gotten yourself over into a bunch of mess and it's bringing grief in your life. Now get up and follow me home. That's what we're going to find in the book of Lamentation. We'll start seeing that next week. But it gives us the opportunity to say, God, what's going on and what do I do? 
sadness gives us the opportunity to approach God in weakness and without pretense. You'll never pray like you pray when you're broken. You'll never not pretend like you won't pretend when the weight is too much to bear. Sadness provides an opportunity to breathe deeply the air of God's presence. You think you experience God most on the mountain. The reality of the fact is you experience his presence most in the valley. And breathe him in these times of sadness. Because apart from him, there's no breath to breathe. It provides an opportunity to walk closely with others who are hurting. You'll never understand another's pain more than in your own if you will if you'll be willing to look beyond yourself and allow the thing you're experiencing that's bringing sadness to help you understand the sadness of the one walking with you it provides an opportunity to unite as brothers and sisters around a common grief we can talk about all the things that's happened in 2020. We can talk about the things that's happened in our life or we can unite around that. And we can be a place where folks can hurt. You can walk in with your burden because you know you're going to be received and understood. Because we want to walk in it with you. It gives an opportunity to worship in a raw and unpolished genuineness. When you're broken, you can just, here I am, Lord. I believe what you've said, and I'm going to celebrate who you are, regardless of how it feels in my life today. You know what I think that is? Sweet aroma to him. Because what he's already said, he knows to be true. I think we find it in Psalm 30, verse 5. As I believe him near to us who are broken, he says... The weeping's going to last through the night. But you know what the other part is, don't you? What comes in the morning? He comes in the morning. We may be sad for the rest of our life. Things might not get better. In fact... They may get demonstrably worse. But it's only the nighttime. And remember, 27 weeks, 
He's got all we need to navigate that. It's broken people relying on him. He says, come on. I'm with you. I get it. It's only temporary. Embrace it. Because the more broken you are, the more dependent you are on me. Okay, Lord, that's what we'll do. Because there's a health associated with sadness. So we're not going to spend a depressing two, uh, month here, but we are going to walk in it. We're going to feel it, and we're going to allow it to form our understanding of who we are in his hand. Amen? God never wastes pain. And he's not going to waste yours. He's going to use it to fashion something glorious like only he can. For your good, for his story in your life. That's where we're headed. Let's stand together as we pray. (laughs) Maybe you're here today. And maybe it is you've known about Jesus for a long time, but there's never been a time that you've said, you know what, Lord? Um, is it just about knowing about you? And he says, no, no. You must be born again. You, you, you must be adopted into the family. How does that happen? That happens only by faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. Complete and absolute trust in the one who died in your place for your sin was buried for the brokenness that we are, but got up from the dead alive and alive today. You've never placed your full and complete and absolute trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Today would be a great day. For you to surrender yourself to him. God I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm broken. But I, I, I just. I trust what you've said. I believe that Jesus died for me. That he rose from the dead. And he's alive today. God I, I trust that he did that. For me. I want you to save me. I want you to forgive me. I want you to make me your child and show me the way forward so that I might represent you well as we wait on Christ's return. If that's you, boy, I hope you'll tell us before you leave so that we can pray with you, encourage you, so that we can know about a new brother or sister. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your son. Father, we feel the grief of Israel as they lamented the destruction of all that you had given them. The opportunity, the place, the privilege. And it all came crashing down and it was very painful. Very traumatic. We feel it at least as much as we can. And this time, in the place that we live. God, we ask that the little book of poetry, Lamentations, may it give us a fresh glimpse of you, your word to your people in every generation. 
But may we hear your voice through the psalmist say, I draw near to those who are broken. May we find you afresh. May we embrace the opportunity that we have to sit long in your lap allow you to speak truth into our heart. Speak glimpses of the morning and reminders that it is coming so that we might stand strong, we might represent Christ well. Father, we ask that you will help those that are struggling in many different areas, physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually. God, we pray that uh, you would use us in a powerful way in every arena of our life that we may be clear and present representatives of your Son. The things that we say, may they be what he would say. The attitudes that we express, may may they be those that he would demonstrate. You are in control, and for that, we are thankful. For that, we praise you. And on that, we're going to move forward for your glory. We love you. We trust you. For in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and our soon-returning King. All the voices, church says, amen.